Hi and welcome to this week's edition of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst for Sports Info Solutions. Our company develops analytics and provides them to MLB teams, media, and fantasy baseball outlets. We'll give you a peek into our world, talk to important people around baseball about analytics storylines, and try to make the numbers fun and interesting. On this week's show, we'll get right to it. We'll talk to baseball historian Rob Nyer about the numbers of 2019. What do they mean in a historical perspective? After that, we'll come back and review the 2019 defensive run saved leaders and wrap things up. Rob Nyer is a baseball historian, the commissioner of the West Coast League, an author of seven books, and the host of Sabercast, the Society for Baseball Research's weekly baseball podcast. And we wanted to bring in a baseball historian to discuss the numbers of 2019 and what the heck they mean, uh, both looking back and looking forward. And my first question, Rob, would be about home runs, of course. And it used to be that you would say that a guy had a pretty good season when he hit 20. Now everybody's hitting 20. How should we evaluate home runs? (laughs) <laughs> well, there are a couple of ways of looking at this question, Mark, and I, I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's fun to be a guest on a podcast as opposed to the host because <laughs> I know it's not my job to be good. It's yours. And if I'm terrible, it's your fault. So uh, <laughs> no pressure. Um, I, I think that if you've been around the game or been following the game for a long time, the numbers that we're seeing now can be jarring. And I try to separate my personal history of being a fan with the analysis. Um, it is, as a fan, it's jarring to know that you know the, the great home run hitters of, of my youth would barely make a ripple today, at least in terms of the numbers. They probably just hit more home runs, obviously. And that's where the, the analysis comes in. You just have to, you, if you look at a guy with 25 home runs, you just you can't be impressed by that. I'm sorry for the guys who who, who hit 25 homers and their and their mothers and their children, but <laughs> but we can't be impressed by that. It's not an impressive feat as 25 or 35 home runs once was. 40, 45, yep, still pretty impressive. Not that many guys, but it's it's interesting, isn't it? That despite the the explosion in power, no one's really threatened any records lately. Um, uh, You don't have the great power hitters getting to 65 or 70 as they did 20 years ago. You have a bunch of guys getting to 30, 35, uh, 40. So it's somehow, for some reason, it's sort of flattened out. I'm not sure. I don't really understand that. Maybe somebody else could explain it, but we do obviously have to discount home runs because they're just far more common and frankly easier than they've ever been before. And you have to recalibrate the way that you watch the game. I went to a couple of games this year with my father, and we talked about the idea that when you watch a swing, you don't necessarily have as good of an idea as you did anymore as to whether or not it's a home run. And then just transitioning, you don't know off the, the swing whether a ball's going to be a base hit anymore because of the number of shifts. What's your take on uh, shifting in baseball and where it uh, stands in uh, both current and historical perspective? Well, as you know, Mark, I wrote a, a, a fair amount about shifting in yeah. in my book, and one of the for me the revelations was not just that shifting had existed for a long time because I'd known that, but I didn't realize just how popular it had been in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. It just very few people noticed; they weren't tracking it. 
because nobody was tracking really much of anything that was happening on the field except for the traditional numbers. Of course, obviously, in the last 10 years, it's exploded far beyond anything that had been done previously. The, the technique that we see now, the techniques, I should say, are the same. There were all sorts of crazy defensive alignments back in the 1950s, for example. But the is like nothing we've ever seen before. Uh, and I actually, as a fan, I enjoy the shifting. I think it injects an element of, of, of tactics that, that is fun to watch. Um, I, you can look at all sorts of numbers. I just saw one yesterday suggesting that it lowers batting average or lowered batting average by six points, you know, obviously give or take, uh, which to the eye isn't significant at all. Um, and I don't know that it's it's something people should be worrying about. I, I kind of enjoy it. Uh, it does make the game a lot more complicated for the players and for the teams, but uh, there's always going to be something making it more complicated. And uh, I, I, I in all, in, when they talk about what they could do to address the imbalance in the game that we see now, uh, for me, Outlawing the shift is should be one of the very last things that you try. Yeah, it, it seems like you would want something that makes the game a little bit more interesting, a little or a little bit more uh, challenging. Do you think the number of shifts? Do you think that, especially seeing that the teams that have had success with it, like the Dodgers and the Astros, do you feel the number kind of levels off, or do you think it keeps going up? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm not wise enough to answer that question with any authority, but I remember reading an article which had one of those great headlines that sort of sticks in your mind. And I'm probably misremembering the headline, but this is what stuck in my mind. Have we seen peak shift? Do you remember that? That was three or yep. four years ago. Sure. Maybe you wrote it. I can't remember. I don't. I didn't write it, it, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and uh, look, the, the, the writer made a compelling case. He was just really, really wrong. <laughs> uh, and what I think is going to happen is that... <clears throat> If you look at the teams that shift the most right now, you will find that they will probably shift a little more in next year. And, and the other teams, most of the other teams will, will push in their direction. It's funny because I, I remember, uh, just a couple of years ago, the, the Cubs decided to cut way back on their shifting and their defense was really good that season. So all of a sudden everybody said, wow, they figured it out. Well, Maybe they didn't figure it out. Maybe they just did it a different way and it happened to work that season. But uh, I think shifting is here to stay, especially as more and more hitters are essentially optimizing their swings for a certain outcome that doesn't allow them to beat the shift, right? I mean, that was when shifting first got big eight, 10 years ago. Uh, everybody fell all over themselves saying hitters will adjust, hitters will adjust, hitters will adjust. And then a couple years later, don't worry, they'll adjust. They'll, it, and they, people keep saying that, but they're saying it less often now, I think, because everyone realized, no, the hitters are not going to adjust. And the guys who are trying to beat the shift by bunting, maybe they'll do it once a month, maybe it's a month. Well, that's not beating the shift. That's just having a good time every once in a while. <laughs> so uh, so it, until there is a structural change in the game, um, and not uh, an individual change where a guy here or a guy there decides he's going to alter his swing every once in a while. 
uh, we're gonna. I just think we're gonna continue to see more shifting because it works. Shameless plug. I'm writing a chapter for the Bill James Handbook, writing the introductory essay. It's about relief pitchers. And I was overwhelmed by the number of names that there are because every oh team God. was using 30 to 35 guys. It's unbelievable. I, and I don't think that you could even, there are a lot of people that couldn't even identify the best closer in baseball this year, Kirby Yates of the Padres. Um, there's going to be some rule changes next year to legislate that. What should we make of, of relief pitching numbers this season and moving forward and moving back and looking backward? I, I don't. I don't know what to make of them. And this, again, this sort of gets back to my history as a fan. Uh, in 1984, when the Royals won the American League West, just barely, I believe they used, and I might be wrong about this, eight relief pitchers all season. And two of those were like an inning or two. Uh, and that, uh, that was not common, but it wasn't terribly uncommon either. Uh, that was, you you needed fewer relief pitchers because a you weren't going for the platoon advantage often. B your starters were pitching much deeper into games than than they do now. And three, and this is I think an underrated reason, teams were more patient with relief pitchers in those days, uh, and they weren't nearly as worried about fatigue. Obviously, so in those days you might have a relief pitcher who went out there a couple times, didn't pitch well. Well, you bring him back out the next day or two days later. And now you have a guy, especially if he's unproven, who doesn't pitch well two or three times in a row, he's back in AAA. Right. He's on the disabled list. It's not never been clear to me that anyone's thought through all the dynamics involved here. And maybe they have, but it almost it feels to me as if this is just a trend that started and nobody ever wondered if it made sense to con- to, to continue down that path. And baseball is continuing down that path. Baseball is yep. also experiencing a separation between the haves and the have-nots, and that was a major topic this year. Uh, an abundance of teams at the 90-win mark and above, and an abundance of teams at the 65-win uh, mark and below. Uh, continue? Uh, stay the same? Where, where, where are we headed with this? Well, it's going to continue next season, I'm certain, because, again... We're, we're, we, to change that dynamic, you need to make some structural changes in the game. And uh, baseball hasn't made those yet. I think that it will happen. What we're seeing is only going to continue. And at some point, the complaints are going to be loud enough or frequent enough that baseball will feel compelled to do something about it. Obviously, you just need to incentivize winning. And there are a million ways to do that. I, I could probably go out and find 10 different plans that have been floated by people on the internet in the last year or two. And I said as many times, there are more smart people working at Major League Baseball than most people can even conceive. Um, But they're not allowed to make structural changes very often, dropping the mound by a couple of inches or, or, or meaningfully incentivizing winning as opposed to losing. Uh, But all these things could be done. And MLB has, plenty of smart people who could figure out how to do those things. They just need to, uh, at the very top, which means ownership, they've got to have their, their, their uh, marching directions and they haven't had those. The other thing is that the have nots, uh, they're just far away. The Tigers are not close. The Orioles are not close. A number of teams that are, uh, you're supposed to, in the old days, you, when you were that non-competitive, it was because you were running your team poorly. Now, 
if you lose a ton of games, often it's because you're really smart. Well, that just doesn't really look very good. And uh, I certainly wouldn't blame a Tigers fan for throwing up their hands and saying, look, we're in a big market. We were competitive three years ago, whenever, four years ago. Uh, does this have to happen? And the answer is it doesn't have to happen, uh, but it, it's allowed to happen. Yep. It's it's their choice to, to do this rather than pursuing, I guess, what would amount to a 75-win uh, uh, team. Do you have a favorite stat from uh, 2019? I wouldn't say favorite. Uh, there are any number of indicative stats. Uh, one of one of one I noticed just a couple of days ago was that, uh, and this might have changed over the weekend, but uh, the Red Sox, I believe, set their all-time record for home runs, and I also. I think I also read that they are finished or were going to finish 10th in the majors in home runs, <laughs> which says a ton about the changing landscape uh, in terms of, of, of power. And again, there's no reason to think it's going to reverse itself or, or even stabilize next season. So we, we haven't seen how far this can go. Two last questions for uh, Rob Nyer. Uh, we're both working feverishly, or will be, uh, over the next couple of days on our Fielding Bible Awards ballots. We pick the best uh, baseball info solutions, picks the best defensive player at each position, and a multi-position award as well. Those will be announced in a couple of weeks. Rob and I are both uh, voting on it. Uh, was there anything that impressed you in particular about defense in 2019? So I, I would say that there's not a particular player who impressed me. Many players made great plays, obviously, and I could think back and remember some of those. But what what really strikes me every year is how the talent level, uh, the ability to make different sorts of plays has increased over the years. Uh, not that there weren't great players when I was a kid, defensive players. Obviously, they're, they were tremendous. Gary Maddox in center field and Willie Wilson. And, uh, obviously, Ozzie Smith and Keith Hernandez were among the greatest who have ever played. Uh, defense, but uh, you see players make plays now that few, if any, players would have dreamed of making uh, twenty or thirty years ago, and that's really what impresses me. The 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 point I always pound on and did in my book, and will continue to pound on, is that the issue I have with all the home runs and the strikeouts isn't that I don't like home runs and strikeouts; it's that I also like other things, and it's my contention that Ozzie Smith really wouldn't be Ozzie Smith if he were playing to, because 20, 20 fewer plays to make. And that's what we miss. A lot of people don't even realize how great today's fielders are because they don't see them fielding as often. And Rob, all right, last question. Is there anything that is particularly challenging about trying to vote for the Fielding Bible Award? I know I tend to sweat out uh, shortstop uh, pretty intensely each year. You know, I would say it really depends on the position. There are I really get obsessed when it when there's clear contenders for the top spot, where there's one or two or three guys who you think would be utterly deserving of that that honor of being number one on the ballot. Uh, and I haven't actually looked at the numbers yet. Uh, I will start that process uh, actually in a few hours. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know how many of those there are. Usually, I think there. Are two or three where you just sort of go, ah. So it, it, it varies by year. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a process. And I'm always glad that there are 
a number of other people struggling with the same things <laughs> and knowing that it's it's probably unlikely that I'll screw up too badly to mess up the rankings. Hedges or Perez, Ahmed or Baez, uh, Kane or Robles. So many good debates this year, and we'll certainly get into those yep. over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, Rob Nyer, thank you for taking the time to join us. You can listen to Rob on the Sabercast, the Society for American Baseball Research's uh, baseball podcast weekly. Uh, definitely check it out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Mark. Looking for the latest compelling baseball and football research? Head over to sportsinfosolutionsblog.com to learn about the latest things we're writing about. We do in-depth studies, leaderboards, and deep dives on the most important players, teams, and trends. Both full-timers and video scouts contribute material to the blog, and feedback is appreciated. If you have any comments or questions, you may contact the author of the post or email us at info at baseballinfosolutions.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS as well. That's sportsinfosolutionsblog.com. It's a busy time at Sports Info Solutions. We're all working on the 2020 Bill James Baseball Handbook, which will be out November 1st. You can pre-order it at actasports.com. Let's give you a taste of what's in there by looking at the defensive run saved leaders by position for 2019. At catcher, Roberto Perez of the Indians had a terrific year in terms of pitch framing and pitch blocking. He led all players with 29 defensive runs saved. Matt Olson of the Oakland A's, Matt Chapman as well, his teammate. They lead at first base and third base, Olson with 13 runs saved, Chapman with 18. Both have dominated their positions the last couple of years. Speaking of which, Colton Wong, now a dominant second baseman for the Cardinals, he leads in defensive runs saved for the second straight year with 14 at second base. At shortstop, Nick Ahmed of the Arizona Diamondbacks, the solo leader this year. Last year he tied with Andrelton Simmons. This year he finishes on top with 18 defensive runs saved. In the outfield, it was a little crowded. Mike Tockman, David Peralta, and Michael Brantley all finished tied in left field with 10 defensive runs saved. Tockman coming out of nowhere to do that to match with the veterans Peralta and Brantley. In center field, Nationals rookie Victor Robles with a late charge at the end of the season. He passed Lorenzo Cain at the end of the year, finished with 22 runs saved to lead all center fielders. And in right field, a tie. Aaron Judge who didn't play the full season, and Cody Bellinger, who split time between three different positions, they finish even at 19 defensive runs saved apiece. At pitcher Max Fried, six defensive runs saved to lead all pitchers. He, along with Dallas Keuchel and Mike Soroka, very strong on defense, providing an extra something on the mound for the Braves. And with that, we wrap up this edition of the SIS Baseball Podcast. Thanks to Rob Nyer for joining us. I'm Mark Simon. We'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 